coming up. What an excellent day for x-rays. Well, howdy folks, and welcome to Minute 53 of The Exorcist Minute, a show where we endeavor to examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist, minute by terrifying minute. My name is Lester Ryan Clark. And I'm Keenan Diaz. And we'll be your holy guides on this journey through what some have called the scariest movie of all time. Okay, so our minute begins with some very loud clacking. And it ends with Dr. Klein saying, is she having spasms again? Again? My goodness. But let's go back to the top of this minute, back at the hospital, back in that horrible operating room, where you'll remember our doctors and radiologists and technicians had just finished surrounding Reagan with every spare piece of office furniture they could find. We got the fax machine, we got the overhead projector, we got the weird butcher paper rack. They had dimmed the lights almost as if they were going to show Reagan an educational film, and our previous minute ended with our technician pressing a button, which we now understand was simply a signal for the radiologist to start banging stuff around Reagan's head with hammers. Mm. Um, no, I guess this is the sound that this machine makes? Seriously, this is the sound it makes when it's working? What sound does it make when it's broken? <laughs> I've heard a lot about medical equipment, um, not a lot. I, that, that makes you sound like I'm, a, I'm an expert. I've been, I've been hearing a little about medical equipment and how they've changed um, and, and how even – have you ever had an MRI? I, I, I haven't had one. I, I don't I don't recall. I, I think I would remember. Yeah, no, I don't right. think I have. Right, you'd be in, you're in this little tunnel thing, right? Right, you know? right. And, and it makes this terrible clacking noises. So I know this mm-hmm. is a different machine. These are these are um, X rays of the of the vascular system. But right. um, but yeah, they're working a lot now. For years, they had been like, oh well, the patient just has to deal with with it. They just have mm-hmm. to deal with these loud, terrible noises. But now they're realizing that they can get the same results with a quieter, open system that doesn't make you claustrophobic. I, I think I would. I would claw my way out of the inside of an MRI machine if yes. I had to deal with it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but apparently a lot of what these loud noises are are the, the mechanical ways of creating the magnetic fields and and so they are necessary uh but yeah, they just haven't been thinking about the user experience, I suppose. Wow, that's that's incredible that that something that on the outside we see as like so sophisticated like mm-hmm. we're going to take an x-ray of the inside of your skull mm-hmm. and then like you actually turn the machine on and it really does like I was joking before folks, but it really does sound like the doctors just grabbed a bunch of pots and pans and just like stood around her and just like bang, 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 bang. Yeah. Like, oh my God. Yeah. We might have some, um, some listeners who usually will watch along with us and I wouldn't be surprised if there are some listeners who are skipping rewatching these parts because they're oh, yes. so disturbing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So just, yeah, Lester is evoking it very well. It is, <laughs> it is incredibly loud incredibly um disturbing and it's not quite even like rhythmic right it's not no even, it's not quite on the bottom 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 of a modern mri machine mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. feels like it's as you know whenever we start to relax is yeah. when it goes like, ah. yeah we're in a hospital and it sounds like the machines are sick <laughs> oh god that's terrible yeah <laughs> So yeah, so like Keenan said, like uh, yeah, if we have if we have listeners who are are trying to like maybe maybe trying to like skip this part, trying to get away from it, um, fear not because we will walk you through every horrible bit of it on mm-hmm. this show. Oh my God, um, but yeah, so. <laughs> We we get a wide shot of the whole room and we see that none of the docs, radiologists or or nurses are in there with Reagan anymore as if they're like, oh, shit, she's going to blow. Mm-hmm. But no, they're gone. And then we cut back to a shot of 
this hand, now out of focus, still clutching that button. And we're now focused on Reagan's face, which is Mm -hmm. all screwed up in this like grimace of pain. Just when you thought it was going to get a little easier, just when you thought it couldn't possibly get any worse. I swear, I knew the technicians aren't in there, but like it really does sound like they're just, they're just like banging shit with hammers. I already Mm -hmm. said that, but yeah. Um, And I know it's, it's a little bit like, well, the people have gone away, so we're going to use, you know, it's, it's, it's like, Hold on, I'm trying to formulate my metaphor, <laughs> but it's as if they have evoked some demons of their own, right? Like, like yes, we, we we're out of here, but you know, our our own medical cap and howdies are going to be in there knocking things around for yes. you. Don't worry about it. Right. This is this is Doctor Howdy, uh, <laughs> the Reverend Doctor Cap and Howdy, Reverend Doctor Cap and Howdy, <laughs> who has his own line of cereal. <laughs> Oh, um, this is apropos of nothing, but just I guess oh, to okay. get away from some of this. Do sure. You play, do you play Clue? I do. Yes. Yeah, we were we were. Um, I was watching my friends play Clue while I was too busy the other day. I was mm-hmm. over at their house and they were all playing Clue, and um, I there's all these new versions of Clue. There's like there's every every two years or so they redo it, and, and this so the newest version of Clue that mm-hmm. they saw. Um, all the rooms connect to each other, so there's okay. not like hallways between them, um, and and the, the it, it's very odd looking. And they they've gotten rid of the Mister Mrs Professor uh, stuff on the card, so it just says plum green white mustard. Really? Yeah, and, and I don't think you can completely delete that from like my friends were still saying like Colonel Mustard or Mrs right. White, right? Yeah. yeah, but it reminded me how in um. In Britain, the original Cluedo, you know, Cluedo mm-hmm, is, is mm-hmm. what they call it over there. And Mr. Green isn't Mr. Green. He's Reverend Green. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So, like, he – so, I think in, – in, uh, think I don't know. I haven't seen this confirmed by the Hasbro um, any smoking guns. But I think in, in America, they're like, we can't have a Reverend be a murder suspect. That's terrible. Sure. One out of six games end with the Reverend having killed Mr. Body. That's no good. Right, right. And then even now, like, it would be uh, not a case of, like, a Reverend killing somebody, right? Because everybody loves the sinister minister trope. Uh, no. Oh, I like that term. I have it with Sinister Minister. I oh, like I love that. it. I love it. I love it. Um, Poltergeist 2, guys. That, that uh, mm-hmm, uh, What's mm-hmm. his name? Um, um, Julian Beck. Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. Oh, yeah. Chef's kiss. Mm. The rest <laughs> of the movie, eh, but, right. you know, but Julian Beck. Mm. Um, but uh, so so now I think I think that'd be fine. Like nobody would would care. But it would maybe be a, cl- a question of like uh, inclusivity. Like, like, okay, well, we have a reverend. So we got to mm-hmm. have like, you know, um, a rabbi and uh, this and a that. <laughs> and then know. a mom. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, they have changed it. every once in a while. They've added some new characters. So there was a Dr. Orchid for a while. Okay. Yeah, I've always wondered why none of them are doctors. And, um, right. you know, the, the game is from what, the 60s or so. So it was mm-hmm. Mrs. White, Mrs. Peacock, and Miss Scarlet. And so, yeah, why can't one of the Misses be a doctor? But, right. Yeah. Yeah. But then, but you, now you're saying like they've they've just completely just uh, uh, eradicated all the like the job titles and stuff. <laughs> yeah, in this version that I saw, right? So just white peacock, scarlet, and they they try to mess up these things every once in a while. And they, they've like I said, tried to add um, Doctor Peacock. Um, oh, what was it, Doctor Peacock, Mister Slate Gray? And there's another one that they tried to add. And I think people just always want to go back to those original six colors. Yeah, right. And especially, I mean, like we we now have a we have a movie that uh, mm-hmm. that uh, you know forever. Uh, cements those uh, those characters. Oh, I can't believe I've been asking you. Yeah, do you play Clue? Because we we've talked about the movie Clue like eighteen <laughs> times on this show, which is what we really want to be podcasting about. But we we have to be stick with our favorite horror movie of all time instead. Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> folks. Um, you know, Keenan already knows this. I was so excited to find this out. But um, so there is now a Clue minute. Um, and uh, they are they are going strong. Uh, I believe they're releasing once a week. A week. Um, but yeah, go check them out. I've been I've been following them. Um. Really 
religiously, you might say. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they do a really good job of uh, of talking about the uh, about uh, the movie Clue, uh, which yeah. I love. That was what my friends question. Like, why don't they just do one where the characters are Madeline Kahn and Michael McKeon? You know, I'm sure oh, that, that would that'd be, be perfect. It'd be expensive, uh, probably because you have to pay for the licensing for Christopher Lloyd and Eileen mm-hmm, Brennan mm-hmm. or whatever. But like, yeah, I, that's the one that I think everyone would buy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, probably, um, probably buy two copies, one to play with and one to not open. Well, yes, absolutely. Right. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say like they had to buy three copies and then it's like, well, that's how it could have ended. You know. <laughs> Well, anyway, sorry to take you away from yeah. Reagan McNeil and her problems to talk about Clue and stuff. Right, yes. Which is just, you know. Let's get back to this horrible uh, <laughs> sounding radiology machine that sound that sounds like it has radiation sickness. Right. In um, in in our movie, what do we have? We have three deaths. Mm-hmm. And in Clue, there are there are twice as many. Yes. <laughs> there's, se- there's seven deaths in Clue, depending on which ending you see. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but again, that, that kind of like raises a fair point, right? Like we're talking about like some movies, right? You know, bodies, like I said, are a dime a dozen, right? And they mm-hmm. could be comedies like Clue. They could also be um, uh, horror movies, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. the Michael Myers movies, the Freddy movies, the Jason movies, right? Like the Chucky movies, you know, when when uh, people die in those movies, it's it's almost a game for us. And we're like, mm-hmm. oh, how, what, what interesting new way is Jason right. Kill uh, like this guy or that or that. How are they going to fake us out? Because yes. we, we are playing along at home, figuring out like which order they're going to kill people in and how. And yeah, the fun is where they they um, they stifle our our guesses. Yes, yes. But uh, for for this movie, because we have spent, even though it is well, I don't know. I, I like Friedkin doesn't like it being called a horror movie, but um, but even though it is like a a scarier movie. Uh, we spend so much time getting to know these characters and, and, you know, growing to love these characters, you know, and we got Chris and we got Reagan. And so when it, when they are in danger, when there is the threat of, uh, danger or death, um, to them, we get really invested. We're like, no, 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 please, you know, not Reagan, not Chris. Um, and even, you know, even when, um, oh, well, maybe I don't want to, uh, uh, spoil it, but, uh, you know, even, even when uh, somebody else dies, we're like, oh, no, like, right. I, not, not that person that I can't say the name of, you know. <laughs> No, <laughs> I think we've already given it away anyway. I don't I know think why we, we have. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So back to this minute. So uh, this is where Reagan can't hold it in anymore. This is where she actually does cry out in pain and fright. But amidst this like cacophony and the confusion of this scene, that voice is so small and it's so quick too. It's like this little squeak and then it's done. And I think this does Two things. One, it shows us how loud and invasive and overbearing this machine and this situation is. Um, you know, when you finally cry out for help, it's barely heard, right? It's drowned out. Mm-hmm. Two, it says something about Reagan because now is her time to really let it out. Now is the time when anyone anyone, myself included, would be screaming a scream to match and maybe rise above all of this chaos, right? Like I personally would not care about holding back anymore. My ego, my pride, my my concern not to show weakness or, or fear would be dissolved long before this. And in that moment, I would be screaming like, holy shit, turn this thing off, you know. But, right. but Reagan in the same situation after all of this, she just kind of goes like, uh, and that's it. And it shows that she is still holding back. I don't know why. Um, if I had to guess, I, 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 I don't think it's pride, but more that, uh, she knows that mom is still watching. Um, 
and she doesn't want to upset her. Even with all of this going on, folks, this is this is the chaotic climax of this scene. I can see another director like having Reagan open her mouth in a silent scream drowned out by the noise. Like mm-hmm. you, you see those that that trick in other things, like when you know someone dies and it's a you know, somebody opens their mouth in a scream, but you don't hear the scream, you just hear like this really soft music or something like that, right? I can I can see that happening with this one, right? Um uh, but Friedkin ha- has made two choices. He said, no, we're going to hear Reagan's voice over all of the noise. That's one choice. And two, it's not going to be a sustained scream. All she's going to give us is this little whimper. And three, this is new math now, imaginary <laughs> numbers, um, <laughs> that, that, that whimper is not going to denote weakness, but strength. Fuck you, doctors. Fuck you, radiologists. Fuck you, technicians. Do your worst. This is all you're going to get out of me. Mom's up there watching, and you're not going to break me. You're not going to break us. Right. I like that you yeah, include Chris in that. Yeah, they're a unit here because that's that's what the movie is going to be back and forth on, whether Chris and Reagan are a unit or not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that it's also, you know, uh, I don't know. It, it, in, a, in a perhaps more evolved medical setting, it might be encouraged for her to to scream out and to you, you know, to, that that's helpful with these therapies, right? Like, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, I went to the chiropractor for the first time because I, you know, I'm almost 40 now. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so I was like, I was telling the chiropractor like, oh, this is my first time. And she's like, how old are you? I'm like 38. I'm like, well, yeah, mm-hmm. this is, this is the first of many visits for you. I assure oh, you. And, and, you know, at first, at first, you know, they're, they're, they're throwing you all over the place. Oh yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. oh yeah. They're taking you all over. And it's like, well, then you, you have to just sort of accept that you're going to make noises that you're not in control of. And it's actually good for you to, to let that out, you know, yes, while, yeah. while they're, while they're working on you. And yeah, I think, you know, in a, in a more evolved place, they might be like, it's okay if you do, this is helpful for mm-hmm. you to, to get this out, Reagan. But, but no, here it's, it's very adversarial, this, this, yes. um, this treatment, right? Yeah. I wonder if like a, in, in the history of medicine, like, mm-hmm. were they at that time yet where they where they were telling, like in another hospital in the 1970s, would they be telling Reagan, like, hey, you know, like, like this will be helpful if you let it all out, if you scream? Or did they not even so, know about yeah. that yet? Yeah, I don't think they're thinking about that. Um, because so much of, so much is it see, uh, that we see here is like, this is for the sake of the instruments, right? Because mm-hmm. if we mess anything up, then then this is all for naught. So it's about right. the instruments and not the patient. It, right. It's this, you know, straight not backward i don't want to say like oh these are barbarians or something right it's it's right. all for a good purpose at the time like they mm-hmm. need to make sure she doesn't move she need to make sure she um she's obeying because otherwise they have to go and you know do all these scans again right 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 yeah so this is this is the um we're, we're kind of at the like the horizon of this uh new technology and it's, yeah. it's very very finicky very fickle and so like everything has to be just right um mm-hmm. otherwise they got to start all over and and god knows like none of us want to see like oh well we messed up it's like a, her brain is all smudgy on the on the thing yeah. we got to we got to we got to do it again yeah, yeah. Yeah, you talked earlier, um, we, we took a break and we're talking about like smoking at in the movies, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what do we do now that um, that we're going to look back on and, and feel bad about, which is something I think about all the time. Because mm, yeah. <laughs> now that I've, I've taught, um, I guess, like 15 years worth of, of young people right. and seeing the difference, I'm like, whoa, there, there are things that I was doing 15 years ago that I think are just wrong now, completely yeah. wrong. Yeah. Um, but same, the same thing with medicine, right? Or, or any therapies. Like, what are the things that we think are, you know, we'll learn, we'll learn in the future that I don't, I don't know. Massage is terrible for you. Right, know, right. Something that that everyone agrees on now is beneficial. Yeah. It's like, oh, I can't believe it. They would go into a darkened room and they would, they would squish their muscles, and then mm-hmm, that's led mm-hmm. to some terrible outbreak of disease that we can't even fathom right now. In the twenty first century, people were just taking too many deep breaths. Don't they know? <laughs> Don't they know what that does? Right. Shallow, shallow, uh, thin breaths, please.
You're wearing out your lungs. <laughs> oh my god. But yeah, um so I, I, okay, so, but speaking of like broken, right? So we got we got these broken sounding machines and we got mm-hmm. uh, Reagan trying not to be broken here. Um Keenan, I'm I'm looking at this shot. You do you see that thing pointed at her? Like it's it's where the tubes go into the machine. It looks like it looks like the double barrels of a shotgun mm-hmm. pointed at her. You see how it's red? That's not supposed to be because it, like that's where like her blood is going, right? Like I, oh, <laughs> I hope I hope is it's it not her blood? Right, yeah. But that's the tube that they put in to um yeah to draw her her blood out, and then they were gonna fill her with helium, right? Yeah, <laughs> helium or air. Either one sounds bad. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think they're filling up with helium. Yeah, I, I can't yeah. tell from here, but I think I think that that red part is just the machinery. Okay, we did we did see some orange red thing earlier, right? And it does look it does look a little bit too bright and cartoony to be like like blood blood. Like hmm. it, it, it looks like like what other nineteen seventies nineteen sixties like blood uh, effects would look like. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen the Wild Bunch, the western. It's like uh-uh. um, it's like. The closest thing to like an American spaghetti Western that we had at that time. So it, okay. you, like the uh, Once Upon a Time in, in America, or sorry, Once Upon a Time in the West, um, uh-huh. Leone trilogy. And it was just a Sam Peckinpah movie. And um, mm. there, this is one of those movies like you were talking about where it just, it just bodies everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, um, and one of the things that they do to sort of get away with how much blood is ever, you know, everybody is just blowing up and mm. uh, is that the blood looks more like tomato soup. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. and at first she's like, okay, well, thank, you know, Thank God it's not like real blood. But then mm-hmm. by the end of it, when the movie just covered with it, it becomes even more sickly gross. Like it feels like they've started out with this attempt to um, to get a- around like censorship, you know, or, or to like, right. like, hey, this is more cartoony. But by the end of it, you're just like, oh, this is like this is so it's so much worse than real looking blood by the end right. of it. But it's, it's even, that exact, even less appetizing. Wow. Yeah. It's that exact color. And then, yeah, right. you don't you don't drink um, tomato soup for a couple of months. After right. You. So and it turns you <laughs> off com- tomato soup. Wow. Perfect. Awesome. Can you believe in the 1970s they were drinking? tomato soup oh <laughs> after all we know now that don't they know soup. that's actually blood <laughs> that's just blood, blood. that's tomatoes. that's all it is haven't haven't they seen uh uh, uh the wild bunch <laughs> <laughs> yes i don't believe that is her blood okay yeah there's enough of it all over her mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah to compare like we've seen like like that that looks like real blood this this but this stuff in the in the machine yeah it's got to be like paint or something mm, yeah. i hope so yeah um, so yeah, in any case, we then have a hard cut, uh, to some sort of backlit screen as x-rays of Reagan's skull move up onto it again. Well, mm. I-, I would just say like, we don't know what it is at first, right? So we cut there like, mm. oh, geez, what is, is, has Reagan blacked out or something terrible, right? That, that's my, oh. that's my impression of it. And then you're talking about the, the white light. Yeah. We all, with the whole screen just filled with white. We don't see anything for, for a split second, you know? You're right. Yes. Oh yeah. Because Reagan be... is like screaming and then we just cut that white. It was like, oh geez, like, oh, mm, mm. what is this? But then we're sort of relieved to, that it's just another big clanky loud machine. <laughs> and again, just so loud and abrasive. So loud, it's like, yeah. It's like you're not you're you're not even with patients anymore. You don't have to scare them, but just like, eh, right. like well, yeah. Again, we don't know where this is, mm. right? Because we we get this insert of the of the X rays moving up onto the light board, right? Uh, and then we get a reveal that this is later and in a different room, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So, uh, but Friedkin is uh making sure that we get the sound of this this machine as well, right? Like mm-hmm. this overly loud like screaming clunking sound. Um, but even before we see the rest of the room, mm-hmm. I think we can tell that we're not like 
in the operating space anymore. Like mm. I, I, I don't know how, except maybe because uh, when the slides of Reagan's skull stop moving, um, so does the sound. As uh-huh. if this, as if this machine is the only thing making noise now. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure if I agree with you 100. Hmm. But, but again, okay. like we're in this ambiguous space of some kind, right? Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that's that's the purpose of this of this yeah. shot and cheaper seeing this little girl's skull everywhere. How right. Fun. <laughs> yeah. Now. Okay, to that, Keenan, like about these x-rays, obviously they didn't make poor Linda Blair go through that operation just to get pictures of her brain, right? <laughs> so we can only assume that, that this is someone else's skull, correct? Well, as you say, obviously, I, I don't think you're fully convinced of that, right? uh, Yeah, no, I'm not. <laughs> I don't know. I don't imagine that they would, but I mean, I could also see Friedkin being like, well, she's already there. <laughs> she's in this real <laughs> machine. What's the, what's the point? No, but they probably... If it were just the x-rays... I'm laughing because that's know, horrible. Right? If it were just the x-rays, maybe, but they have to add that contrast, right? That, mm-hmm. that helium uh, mix into right. her brain. So they probably have not really made her drain her... Uh, almost certainly she's not draining her real blood and then replacing her... Um, or, or her. Uh, they're not draining their blood. They're draining her um, cerebral spinal fluid. Right, her spinal fluid, yeah, yeah. And then replacing that with the helium mixture. So they, they're probably almost certainly not doing that. If it was okay. just an x-ray or something... I'm sure they would have been like, ah, <laughs> right. well, everybody's here. Let's have yeah. a party. Right. <laughs> hey, everybody, we're all going to get x-rayed. <laughs> it rhymes, too. <laughs> yeah. So I, I imagine these are not Linda Blair's real, but who knows? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like, you would think that if they were, like, that would be that would be one of the stories. It's like, and this was you a real it, right? arteriogram. They'd be real know? proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> right. They would talk about that, right? She injured her back and we drained her brain, right? Like... <laughs> That's acting. That's acting. what acting is. Dedication. <laughs> you want to be big, kid? You want to be big? <laughs> you got to pump your head full of helium. How do you expect to be big with all your original fluids in you? <laughs> and then just for the rest of the movie, right? It's like, it's like, was that, a, was that a good job, Billy? It's like, yeah, yeah, but don't let it go to your head. Oh, no, Oh, Billy. and then everyone's just laughing. And it's like, <laughs> Linda's like, this is bullshit. <laughs> well, that'd be like the end of The Simpsons. That everyone is, uh, the end of The Simpsons episode, they're all laughing and laughing and laughing. He goes, oh, I kept the laughing gas on. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there we are. We got our Simpsons reference. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Um, okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like, it's got to be. It's got to be like somebody else's records, right? Like they would oh, just these grab brain scans. Yeah, yeah, they must be. Um, so yeah, we linger on these shots of Reagan's brain for a little bit, and then we cut to what I think is a really cool shot of the reflection of a new set of X-rays going up on that screen, as seen in this new doctor's glasses. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a new doctor. We haven't seen him before, correct? Oh, right, completely. Yeah. Um, but we very clearly – it's not Dr. Klein. It's it's some other person, right? It's definitely – close-up of him. Yeah, definitely not Dr. Klein. Actually, he has like all the like opposing features, right? Like <laughs> Dr. Klein is clean-shaven. This guy has a mustache. Um, this guy's wearing glasses. Dr. Klein is bald. This guy has hair. It's like it's all um, – it's, it's it's like like almost polar opposite, right? Right. Um, and this is this is apparently Dr. Tanny mm-hmm. uh, according to uh, the X-ray. Not 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 the X-ray. Uh, I mean the Amazon X-ray. Jesus. Right. Um, Doctor, uh, what does the X-ray say? Well, well, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I'm going to do his voice. He's like, mm-hmm. well, it appears. Oh, no, no, no. What is it? It's like, no vascular displacement. Yes, yes. Well, it appears my real name is Robert Simmons. I was born December first, nineteen twenty-six. I've played in such films as The Exorcist and Catch Me If You Can. Wow, how about that? <laughs> but 
<laughs> but Keenan, um, I, yeah, I, like I was looking, it's very hard to find uh, anything else on this guy. Well, yeah, this appears to be his first film, which mm-hmm. is nice again. So he had done a lot of work in theater and done some really, really important work in New York. Um, mm. That's one of the things that I, um, as a film historian, or at least a film history teacher, like there's huge gaps in our understanding of who important people are because they're working in theater, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't quite, there's an internet Broadway database, and there's an internet movie database, and they haven't quite like just melded those together. You know, they're yeah. different companies. One's owned by Amazon, and I think one is a private company. So yeah, yeah so he's a very important person in the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after this, had a bunch of small roles like this, I think never mm-hmm. quite matching his, his import um, uh, when he's the head of companies in uh, um, in the New York stage. Uh, oh, yeah. One other thing I wanted to mention was that he is the um, stepfather of Amy Irving, which oh. makes him for a time the stepfather-in-law of Steven Spielberg. So, what? so you know, yeah, I, I, that's one of the things I like about movie history is finding these connections. Uh, um, some of my colleagues... Um, uh, or just other professors you meet everywhere, other historians are like, oh, you know, that's a blind spot for me about finding out who's related. And they, they mm-hmm. kind of aren't quite, um, um, they not not quite dismissive, but they're, I think they're missing a big part of like, oh, you know, this person is, you know, having dinner with this other person all the time. <laughs> right? Right, I mean, right. so, how, so that must affect them. So even if they're not in movies together, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, how does that not have some kind of um, impact on their work, right? Right, right. Just just spending time together, like, is is gonna, um, like, like, uh, uh, they're both gonna rub off on each other a little bit. Yeah, and so like some some people don't keep track of like who's married to who, and then to mm-hmm. be fair, like that changes very often in Hollywood true, relationships. True. And Spielberg and Amy Irving get divorced, so mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. Robert Simons, this character, Doctor Tanny, would be. Steven Spielberg's ex-father-in-law, right? Exactly. <laughs> Ex-stepfather-in-law. Ex, oh, right. Yeah. Ex-stepfather-in-law. Exactly. Wow. Um, but, you know, they they would have been in each other's lives for quite some time. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I was uh, Lisa Marie Presley, the uh, musician and music producer, just passed away a couple weeks ago. And, and I was thinking about how, well, you know, she was the connection between the, um, the Jackson family, like Michael mm-hmm. Jackson, Janet Jackson. Oh, my God. And the Coppola's. Because she was married oh my to, God. she was married to Michael Jackson, and then married to Nicolas Cage, or vice versa. Sorry, um, you, I can't remember which one came first. But she was married mm-hmm. to Nicolas Cage, and she was married to Michael Jackson. So you know that's the link between the Coppolas and the Jacksons. I don't think that they spend a lot of time <laughs> to each other, <laughs> like Janet Jackson and uh, Francis Ford Coppola. You mm-hmm. know, that's far al- enough along. They probably didn't, you know, sit yeah. down with each other and talk shop. But you know. Mm-hmm. They were uh, you know, probably at some family functions at some yeah. point or, you know, were quite aware that, oh, my nephew Nick just married, um, you know, Lisa Marie, <laughs> Elvis yeah. Presley's daughter. Like this is a, you know, they're aware of these things at least. Gosh. This is a this is a, a tangled web worthy of of Chris <laughs> McNeil and, and Howard McNeil. <laughs> Wait, now you have a celebrity in your family, don't you? I do, I do. Yes. Um, you want to share that with the listeners? Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> um, firstly, I, I also I do want to say, like um, Keenan, like mm-hmm. I, I asked you earlier today, I was like, hey, I don't have anything on this Robert Simmons guy, do you? And you're like, like no, no, I couldn't find anything. And yeah. then you just lay out all of this stuff that you just laid out, like so. It's thank just the you. One thing, yeah, he's he's you know, Steven Spielberg's. Ex stepfather in law. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> the uh, the celebrity in in my family, um, whom I I have never met, um, <laughs> and I think I think my mom only met uh, like once at a funeral. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I grew up uh, listening to his music because uh, mom would uh, would play it all the time. Um, mm-hmm. That is Peter Cetera. Um, right. Peter Cetera of Chicago fame. Um, mm-hmm. and, and my, my, uh, my mom and my, my relatives on that side love to tell me that I, I look a lot like him. 
Um, and I guess, yeah, like if you, if you look at, uh, you know, some of his younger pictures, um, you can, you can kind of, you can kind of see it, right? Like, um, oh, if, yeah, you, you do. if you switch the hair around a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, there's that. Um, I, I, I never put that together before, but yes, of course. Yeah. Um, so, uh, he is my mom's cousin, but I don't know. I, I still, to this day, um, haven't figured out what that makes him to me because he's not an cousin. uncle then. He's... Well, I've said this before, like in Hawaii, where I'm from, everyone's mm-hmm. your uncle, yeah, <laughs> everyone's your auntie, like, so it's much simpler. It's Uncle Peter, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I think I think he's like a, a a like a type of cousin, like twice removed or once removed, or he's a, okay. Oh God, like first cousin once removed, or <laughs> or I don't know, like because Wait, it's your mother's cousin. Yes. So second cousin, and then the once removed part is the generation. I think right. Okay, one of them's the generation, and one of them's the <laughs> the. Uh, like the distance, like cousin's cousin is, oh, maybe that's, that's the ones removed. Oh my God. Now I have been on this, this, um, Wikipedia page several uh-huh. times <laughs> trying okay. to figure I, out this oh, no. once removed nonsense that you Caucasians do. <laughs> <laughs> and folks, folks, I'm sure, I'm sure we have listeners out there who have also learned this and forgotten it. Um, just like me. Like I, I remember learning this and, and being like, oh yeah, like I, that makes sense. And then just completely forgetting it again. Um, All right. Let me think. So I'm at this little chart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you are the person, yes. your parent. Okay. So you're then your parent's cousin. Uh-huh. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> First cousin once removed. Okay. We're going to, we're going to, so this do is this your, in real your time. mom and Peter Cetera have the same grandparents. I'm doing, I'm doing Google <laughs> while you're doing Wikipedia. We're going to see who comes out this first. This has this big complicated chart. So. Okay. Okay. Google your answered brother. it. Oh, um, okay. So then your parents, <laughs> your uncles and aunts, children, that's not what it is. It's your, your parents, no. your grandparents, great grand. No, <laughs> no. I your, have the answer. I'm just going to okay. wait for you to. <laughs> your, I can't even find it. Your parents' first cousin. Is your first cousin once removed? I believe Correct. that's that's. Yes. Oh, good. Okay, yes. good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it says it says your mother's cousin is called your first cousin once removed. Okay, so that answers that. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I know the answer now, but I'm never like it's like just, what, what what does that achieved? Yeah, what does yeah what did, what makes him so he's uh, uh, okay first cousin. So he is removed from from me by, by a, generation. a generation i believe okay right? but and that like, yeah it's confused so your your second cousin's father who would be peter Cetera, i don't know if they i don't know if he has children but but that would be yeah your second cousin's father is your first cousin somehow what <laughs> first removed that's what it is <laughs> your your mother's cousin is your first cousin once removed and their children yes. would be your second cousins oh Second cousin once removed. So no, so no, that would be your second cousin. Uh, Their children, <laughs> Uncle Peter's <laughs> right. children, would be your second cousins. Okay, but they're they're not removed from you. They're at not all? removed. They're the same. They're the same age as you. Okay, you know what? Can can we just can we just go go back to the um the the way that I knew it from like my my childhood days where uh-huh. we had like um you know there was like an evil twin bad guy or something like that mm-hmm. on a cartoon and he's like oh he's this is my second cousin but he was so bad he we had to remove him from the family <laughs> then he came back and we had to remove him again that's how I remember it that's let's oh, just good. go with that 
Now I'm looking at <laughs> the Coppola family tree, and they have it. They have the Coppola family tree sideways from what I would say. This is not how I would lay this out, but uh-huh. Nicholas. Okay, so yes, Nicholas Kim Coppola, who is uh-huh. known as Nicholas Cage, is Francis Ford Coppola's nephew. Oh, wait, this is the wrong family. I'm supposed to look at the Spielberg family tree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the wrong. That's why I can't find Robert Simons because I was in the wrong family tree. Literally barking up the wrong tree. (laughs) Oh, jeepers! Okay, so then who is (laughs) all right? Okay, yeah, there is no family tree for the Spielbergs. They're not notable enough, I guess. Wow. Okay. But that's what happens to yeah when you when you start. I mean, that's that's the kind of thing, right? It it makes it, it seems so foreign when when you're no when you don't know people in the entertainment business that you would have you know everyone's sort of intermarrying and knowing each other and mixing each other. But, you know, that mm-hmm. just makes sense when, yeah. you know, people find each other through work. You know, yeah. that, those are the places you get married, right? Through church, work, mm-hmm. and I don't know what else. That's about um, it, I guess. Yeah, right. <laughs> and now dating apps, I suppose. But if you live yes. in a company town like New York or, or Los Angeles, right, you, mm-hmm, you're, mm-hmm. you know, company town is in Broadway or um, – or the movies, or in Chicago for comedy, like stage comedy, then yeah, you're just going to meet the same people, even if you're on dating apps. You're yeah, you're bound to mix and are, match. Yeah, yeah. In your your field. Yeah. You might even stay away from dating apps, because it's like, everyone's <laughs> going to see that you're on a dating app. You know? Oh, yes, yes, yes. It's like, oh my God, oh my God, John's on a dating app. Wait, oh, I'm on no. a dating app. John can see me. Oh no. <laughs> and right. then you just text each other. It's like, hey, you want to go, like, we're both on this dating app. No, yeah, like, yeah. no yeah. I don't think that would happen. Or maybe yeah. it has. <laughs> There we go. We're covering all the bases. Yeah, when I was um, on dating oh, for a very brief time, because I met mm-hmm. my boyfriend as a rebound, and then we just stayed together for ten years because it's like, oh, that's a lot easier. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but yeah, I would I would run into, I would see friends of mine, and I would just I would just block them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like completely, I was like, I, I, before they see me, I need to get out of here and block. Yeah, them. yeah. Uh-huh. So sometimes, like. Sometimes I'd be on the dating app, not even like looking for it. I'd just be like looking for friends of mine to block. <laughs> <laughs> Ew, this person wants a relationship. Ew, yeah. and I know them. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow, folks, we want we went on that journey. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, yeah. So- <laughs> I do love this shot of Robert Simon with the glasses. Right, yes. you're talking about. It's really cool. So we were we were talking in the in the previous scene how we have that shot of um chris behind this glass right but we keep in some of these reflections of these tubes and everything and it yes. it, it sort of distances us from chris while also like putting us in her shoes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this is the first shot of dr tanny it's a big close-up right we yes. don't get much closer than this to any character we've never right. met him but mm-hmm. but having these glasses and this um this rack of x-rays going up and down in front of them really distances us from him right yes yeah yes. so so we're like observing him observing these and so we're not like necessarily imprinting on him the way that we would with other new characters and being like this is us now it's almost as if he himself is also a machine right Um, and his and his eyes are because like that's the thing that's the thing that we we kind of like latch on to like Mm -hmm. when when we see these characters is their eyes right and we can't see his eyes it's almost like his eyes are lenses or cameras Mm -hmm. themselves right um, as he's examining this uh, this girl, I, you made that joke before about like mm-hmm. how Doctor Klein is trying to be, you know, like a, a human to to Reagan, and it's like, oh, see, little girl, this is how the the um, the temperature works and everything like that. And, and you made this joke was like he's not being like, give me your data, little girl, you know. Um, <laughs> but we could we could argue that, I mean, he's not talking to Reagan right now, but mm-hmm. like he's he's coming off at least in this moment as like the, uh, a little bit more technical, right. 
Yeah, that's mm. another way you were talking about every way that they're different, right? Uh, mm-hmm, Dr. Mm-hmm. Dr. Klein has been trying to be open and failing at that, right? He's been trying. Yes. We've seen that. Um, I was going to say smarmy, which isn't quite the word, but something mm. along those lines, right? He's trying to ingratiate himself into into Chris's um, uh, inner circle. You know, right. he's, he's trying to be open, and, and Dr. Tanny is closed. He's very yes. much, yes, I observe, yeah. mm-hmm. I yeah. watch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I attack, I protect. I, I, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> he attack, he protect, but most of all, he project. He project, yeah. <laughs> he he look at the spinal fluid in the neck. Um, <laughs> um, oh, oh. Also, before we before we move on, mm-hmm. um, I. I, I didn't tell our listeners this, folks. Um, and you might have seen me uh, post it on uh, on the socials. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was out on my run the other day, and I like happened across. It was a new route that I was taking, and I happened across this like random bookstore. And I just kind of like dipped in, and I saw that they had a copy of The Exorcist. And uh, I asked to like take a look at it, and I opened the cover, and it was a signed copy. It was uh, signed by William Peter Blatty, mm-hmm. and I, I asked them how much it was, and, and uh, they told me, and I was like, "All right, I will, uh, you know, I will finish my run, and uh, you know, uh, I will come back with my wallet because I didn't have my wallet on mm-hmm. me. Um, you know, I'll go back to my car, grab my wallet, and uh, I, I had like resolved that like." If it wasn't there by the time I got back, then that's the universe saying, like, you don't need to spend money on this right. thing. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I don't think I ever ran as fast as I did um, <laughs> to get back to my car, uh, to, to get my wallet and then run back to the store. Did you end up um, asking them, like, how long they had it? Or, I mean, like, is it like, are we the only ones who would, you know, care? And we're like, oh, my God, we, we need this. Like, you were scared someone was going to see it in, in the span of an hour right. and buy it. In, in my mind, mm-hmm. I thought that the rest of the – the city of Los Angeles was <laughs> like just just a, 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 a swarm of mm-hmm, rabid, mm-hmm. Uh, feral, um, uh, exorcist loving, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, book buying uh, <laughs> creatures, and they were just going to be like clamoring to to get this thing. And I only had like five seconds to you know get to my car, and it's like, mm-hmm. oh no, it's like it's going to be gone forever. Oh no. Um, but uh, no, that was not the case. It was probably it's probably been there for like weeks, right. and nobody cared. <laughs> but, but for me, I was like, oh, I have to, I have to get this right. right. Um, so I I ran back, I got it, uh, and uh, I was uh, I brought it home, and I was looking at my copy because I also have like I already had a copy. Like this is this is how obsessed I am. Ken. I already <laughs> had a copy, like a first edition, and and now I'm buying another first edition because mm-hmm. it's signed, and I spent. I, I totally too much understand. Time. I totally yeah. understand that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I was looking to see like, like how is it different and the, the size is slightly, uh, uh, different and the print is a little bit different. The paper is a little bit different. And the, uh, the little back flap of the jacket has this little acknowledgement. And this is, this is where I'm, I'm, uh, 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 this is what I've been trying to get at folks. Um, William Peter Blatty thanks a certain doctor and that doctor's name is Dr. Tanny. Mm, okay. And he thanks him for, I guess, like, um, you know, help in like research and medical advice and things like that. And so now I'm wondering, I, and, and I'll have to go back and, and read this part of the book again. Mm-hmm. Is Dr. Tanny mentioned in the book? Um, or, or is it like, cause the only doctor I remember in the book is Dr. Klein. Right. Um, and I think the other doctors go unnamed, but he he's thanking an actual real life Dr. Tanny in, you know, like this little back uh, part of the, uh, of the book, this little blurb. And so certainly the name of this character in the movie came from that. It must be. Yeah. In the screenplay, it says Dr. Tanny as well. So then we're mm. going to hear it in the dialogue, but um, 
but yeah, so that that's interesting. So somewhere, Blatty made the decision, right, to to name him that. Yeah, um, I'm looking, looking, looking. I'm trying to see if I can maybe find if I took a picture of it. I don't have the book with me. <gasps> Holy shit! Actually, I'm at school right now. I do have the book with me. <laughs> you all have the book. I, yeah, I'll be right back, and I'm going to read the exact thing. Okay, hang on. Okay, and we're back. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys can can hear this, folks. We are we are actually in luck um, because I am not recording from home today in my home studio. I'm recording at uh, uh, the studio at school, um, and uh, so like right uh, down the hall is my office, and that's where this book uh, is. It's on my little display, so I was able to go and grab it. And let's see. Okay, so I'm looking at yeah. So it's in the back. It's uh, the acknowledgments, and it says. My special thanks to Herbert Tanney, MD, mm. Mr. Joseph E. Jeffs, librarian, Georgetown University, Mr. William Bloom, and Mrs. Ann Harris, my editor at Harper and Rowe, for their invaluable assistance and generosity in the preparation of this work. Right. Um, I would also like to thank uh, Reverend Thomas V. Birmingham. Mm. Right. We got Tom there. Hey, SJ. Everybody. Oh. He didn't forget to put the SJ there. <laughs> um, Vice Provincial for the Formation of New York Province of the Society of Jesus for suggesting the subject subject matter of this novel. I remember that. Yeah, he said uh, it was uh, it was Tom who suggested it. Uh, Mr. Mark Jaffe uh, of Bantam Books and the sing- for his singular and lonely faith in its eventual worth. To these mentions, I would like to add Dr. Bernard M. Wagner or Wagner of Georgetown University for teaching me to write. And the Jesuits for teaching me to think. Ooh, huh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I also happened to pull up a scene with the Dr. Tanny character in the book while you were oh. looking for that. And his name in the book is Dr. David. Wait. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought you meant. Okay. So so he isn't mentioned in the book. In the book? Well, this is the, uh, what I'm looking at here is the consulting neurologist, et cetera, the scene that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, he is not named. And then when you look a little further on, um, it's actually some sort of weird um, play. This is the next scene where, where Dr. Tanny goes with Dr. Klein to um, to Chris's house. So mm-hmm. I'm cutting forward a little bit, but um, Chris says, oh, come and take a look at what my daughter's doing. And Dr. Klein says, this is doctor. And then he's cut off. <laughs> oh, okay. And so we don't know the doctor's name until after whatever happens to um, to Reagan upstairs in the bedroom there. And then later on, when they've calmed down, the doctor does have a name and it is Dr. David. Interesting. You're doing okay. just fine, Klein assured her. It's a frightening ordeal. By the way, this is Dr. David. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I wonder if, um, I, yeah, I wonder if Dr. Tanny is not in there at all or if he's just been moved uh, to some other, you know, uh, character. But it sounds like his character has been um, – changed into Dr. David. That's what it seems like. Or no, the other way around where Dr. David from the book is turned into Dr. Tanny in the movie. Right. Yes. That's what I meant. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Finding all sorts of things here today. (laughs) (laughs) Books can take you anywhere. Yes. Um, Oh, and now I've forgotten all the reading rainbow stuff. Okay. (laughs) I never saw reading rainbow as a kid. I thought it was too boring. (laughs) What? After Sesame Street, I would just change the channel to something oh else. I wouldn't God. watch yeah, Reading Rainbow. Oh, the song is the song is playing in my head right now, but I can't <laughs> say a word of it because I don't want to get sued. I do remember uh, watching the theme song a lot, and then mm-hmm. and then they would start talking about books that I hadn't read, and I turned it off. <laughs> 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 and I did read a lot as a kid, so I was a voracious reader, and I read very early. But I was—I mm-hmm. I don't know—I just never got that why 
Why are you yeah. telling me about like? Because it's not like a book club where they tell you ahead of time. <laughs> hey, ask ask to go to the library and get this book, and we'll talk about it. It just here's some book, and I'm like, well, I'd oh, rather Keenan, you know, like, be reading the, that book than watching you talk about the subject matter of the book. book is like is like the 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 theme of the show, if I remember correctly. Yeah, but not a book I had read. No, <laughs> I never I never caught a, a time when when they were talking about a book that I had read. Oh, but you, but, but you, you would also get the benefit of seeing LeVar Burton go to the old West and, uh, you know, nope, I shut it off before that happened. <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch the theme song. He has a, in a, in a book, it's reading rainbow, but then I would no, 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 we're going to get sued. We're going to get sued. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd be done with that by then. Wow. Okay. And I liked, I don't, now that I'm thinking about it, I liked, I liked, um, next generation Star Trek a lot. Hmm. So I liked I liked Joy LaForge and and I liked yeah. Lamar Burton. I liked everything about it except what yeah. the show's about. He was in there. He just had a, a thing over his eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's great. Yeah, Joy LaForge, mm-hmm. wonderful. Yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, what this doc actually says? So um, he's he's looking at the X rays, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he says there's nothing there, no no vascular displacement at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and he asks Doctor Klein uh, if he wants him to run another series. And I like how casual they are about mm-hmm. it. Like like you know that wasn't very scary. That wasn't as scary as we thought. You want to you want to do that all again? Mm-hmm. Um, you know we, we we did really good. I, I think we can do it all again, right? <laughs> and all of us are just like clenching and be like, no, no, Please, no. Like, we don't want that. Yeah. Um, but no, so Klein says, I don't think so. Um, but he still wants this doc to look at Reagan again. Yeah. Um, and I want to say like in the script, uh, we were talking about this in my screenwriting class this week. There's mm-hmm. a lot of what are called parentheticals. We mm-hmm. haven't, we haven't talked about that in the show before. I think like, um, in a screenplay, sometimes you will put under, under the character's name, you'll put a little phrase or an adjective in the parenthetical or an adverb that, mm-hmm. that's telling the actor how to read it or really telling the reader how to, if it's something like the most useful one is sarcastic or something like that. Right. right. Um, right. Cause it could be like, you're the best. And then, you know, what it really should be is you're the best, you know? Right. And it's hard. You can't quite convey that with just the text itself. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of that in the scene. So Klein is told to frown while he's studying the x-ray. Oh, okay. um, yeah. And and then later on, the receptionist is said to be urgent here. Um, and, hmm. I, and it's very interesting how a lot of that is stripped away. Because as you say, in the performances here, Martin Heyman um, mm-hmm. and, um, and Friedkin have decided to not quite be so emotionally invested or not really make a scene out of it like the point of the scene is how um how they're trying to they're they're confused obviously but they're not like well this has never happened before where we've never seen bad results here they're professionals and that's that's where that's where friedkin and the actors have taken this as opposed to the urgency that um that blatty is putting in here yeah it does seem like uh blatty tends to lean uh towards the more kind of like pathos um, side of things where uh friedkin uh is a little bit more technical a little bit more like would you would you agree with that yeah i'd say he's colder um yeah you know, this still is a very emotional movie, but you know, mm-hmm. here we have it says Tanny shaking his head, removes his eyeglasses and tucks them into his breast pocket of the jacket. Hmm. There's just nothing there, no vascular distortion at all. Whereas, you know, this is sort of thrown away a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. He doesn't he doesn't remove his glasses, like nope. he keeps those on he so them. that we can we can see that he's a robot. Um, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were talking about in class about these parentheticals and how they're mm-hmm. often very useful for the read. Um, mm. So you can kind of get a feeling of what's going on. But then actors, when they go to perform them, usually cut them out or cover them or, or, or mm. you know, scratch them out. So that when I was learning how to act um, in high school, I, I would read that Jodie Foster would cross out all the parentheticals for her character, no matter oh. what. And um, and I was telling that to my screenwriting students. They're like, no, you need those. How could you? How could you, Jodie Foster? <laughs> right. You, I, I, need, I need to give you that direction. You know, she, she has her own process. She doesn't want someone yeah. to tell her how to do them. Um, 
And you know, what if that sarcastic line, you're the best, what if it's mm-hmm. actually very interesting when she says it, you know, straight? Yeah. All sorts yeah. of different flavors you can get there, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then also like like it's it's up to us ultimately to uh, interpret how she said it, right? Mm-hmm. So she could be saying it sincerely and we could look at it like and look at the, you know, the whole situation and be like, wow, she's – she it sounds sincere but it must be sarcastic or, right. you know, whatever. All sorts of stuff that, yeah, they're possible because the actor's job isn't to um, – especially in film where in, in theater roughly – theater actors don't write in. I'm simplifying for people. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but for, for theater actors roughly – the rehearsal process is you trying to figure out one general performance. Again, I'm simplifying because right. because um, things do vary from night to night, but not vary from night to night so much that it changes what the play is about. You know, right. that's the idea. Yeah. Um, but in the film, you're trying to get you have three or four takes of something, and that is your rehearsal period. And so you're mm-hmm. trying to take oftentimes, depending on the actor, big swings back and forth. Or some actors are, are trying to they have the one choice they're trying to perfect, right? Um, right. But some actors like to try. Okay, I'm going to do one, and then the next one's going to be the exact opposite way to interpret that. Yeah. I'm still thinking back on uh, like what you were saying, like your, your students uh, recoiling in horror uh, when they learn that, that Jodie Foster is, is crossing out all the parentheticals. Right, it's shocked. like, but they also, they, they also recognize that Jodie Foster is an amazing actor though. Like, right. Like, and, and like they, you know, maybe putting two and two together is like, Oh, well like that's the process that she uses to get her to that place. You know? Right. I don't think that they quite put that together. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, that, you know, the, your work on the page is very important, but then, mm-hmm. but then at some point it becomes somebody else's job to take it. And, and, you know, um, of course there's, um, you know, writers, uh, typically have been excluded from the process of filmmaking. Hmm. The Exodus is very different because the, the writer of the screenplay is the writer of the source material and the producer right. and of the, the producer, film. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is, a, this is a little bit different, but yeah, uh, historically writers have been pushed away from the set and they've been not welcome on set. Um, and that is partially because of the disrespect that Hollywood has for writers, but mm-hmm. also partially because of a history of uh, writers not understanding the process and feeling like they should be able to direct and pipe in and, um, or see is like the first take of an actor and then throw a fit, not realizing that the actor has three or four other ways that they're going to do it. Right, right. Right. It is the director's job, um, to translate a, a written work to the screen, right? What, mm-hmm. Like no matter how, no matter how good, um, you know, something is, you know, on the page, it, it like making it like word for word exactly, um, uh, as it is like, and putting that up on the screen, it might not, it might not, uh, you know, jump out at you as, as much. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking specifically now of, I, I, uh, am listening to, uh, room 237, the, mm-hmm. uh, the shining minute. And, uh, apparently like we all know like that, uh, Stephen King famously, uh, hated, uh, Kubrick's adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, and he thought that, uh, that Kubrick, uh, strayed too far from the book, mm-hmm. but actually, uh, according to this podcast, Kubrick had a, uh, a printed out copy of the manuscript of the book. He mm-hmm. was given, uh, it, before the book was published and he went through that thing and, and one historian actually has it. He has, um, the, uh, the copy that Kubrick wrote all over, just like, you know, like highlighting things and circling things and saying, okay, this is good. When does this come up again? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like, like, oh, how can we, how can we, um, you know, blow this up and make this, um, you know, really, really big on the screen and, mm-hmm. you know, like, at, like all of these little notes on the side. And there is uh, one part where you can kind of tell that Kubrick got annoyed um, because Stephen King uh, just 
kept on talking about the boiler down in the basement, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and, you know, he's talking about how Jack has to, you know, dump the boiler and, and the boiler this and the boiler that. And you can see the notes getting like, um, you know, a little bit uh, sharper and sharper as um, as Kubrick is is going. And then finally, like uh, there's, there's like, it's like three pages of, of uh, this this boiler stuff. And and the last page, maybe even more, but and the last page, um, Kubrick has just like slashed out all of the stuff <laughs> about the boiler. And just on the sides, he wrote, he, he wrote fuck the boiler. <laughs> I don't know if I remember the boiler in the movie. Is there? The it's, I don't think it's in there in the movie. <laughs> There's a lot of tasks that Jack has to do. I don't remember the boiler at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's like in the book. That's like the big thing. It's like you know uh, what is it? What do you call it? Um, not Schrodinger's. Um, um, yeah. Oh, what's what's the gun? Oh, that is Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's gun. Not, uh-huh. I'm, I'm mixing Chekhov and Schrodinger's uh, cat and, cat Chekhov's, and gun. Chekhov's gun. Wow! Don't 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 let Schrodinger's cat get a hold of <laughs> Chekhov's gun. Um, he'll kill you and not kill you at the same time. Um, but no, like like the boiler in the story is like uh, Chekhov's gun, um, where it's like, watch out for the boiler. Mm-hmm. If you don't dump the boiler, the, the house is going to blow up. You know, oh, then, right. Uh huh. Yeah, and then it blows up. Um, Which doesn't happen. That doesn't happen in the Kubrick movie. No, it doesn't happen in the Kubrick no. movie. Um, that, uh, but yeah, and and I think I think rightly so. I think I think uh, Kubrick's version is a very very good version. And Stephen King, you wrote a really really good book, mm-hmm. and and Kubrick made a really really good movie. So right. stop fighting. <laughs> you're both geniuses. You're both you both did a great job. Yeah, um, it's interesting I don't think I don't think that... Kubrick's fighting Stephen. Right. Stephen's fighting Kubrick. <laughs> It's interesting to hear that Kubrick is taking, you know, the galley's copy of the book and making all those notations, like treating it like the, you know, capital L literature that he had uh, adapted, yes. like Lolita, you know, Vladimir mm-hmm. Nagel Lolita and, and making all those notes. So, so he at least was trying to, um, you know, treat it respectfully by going through every single line and seeing what was useful or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. So like, you know, speaking to that, we have this, this team, this, uh, this director and this writer here on this movie. Right. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, it seems like they're working pretty well together. Um, mm-hmm. we're gonna, we're gonna come, uh, to some, um, uh, some forks in the road, uh, a little bit later. Um, but, uh, I don't, I don't think we've had any disagreements yet. Not yet that I'm aware of. And some of them are about, um, you know, in the edit, once things are, are already filmed, right. like what, what do we, what should we keep in? despite the studio's insistence to cut things down, like what should we be cutting? Which is, I, you know, a reasonable debate to be having about because yes, okay, yes. they make major changes. Right. We have in this scene, in this, in this, uh, you know, version you've never seen before, we have had some, um, some things being, uh, uh, uh taken out in the, in mm-hmm. the theatrical cut already, right? right. That first hospital visit and all that. Yeah. Um, so, so Dr. Tanny asks, Klein, if uh, they want to, you know, do this whole process again, mm-hmm. um, Klein says, no, I don't think so. But he still wants um, uh, the doc to look at Reagan again. And we then cut to another nurse. And this, folks, is Eleanor Blair. This is Linda Blair's real mother, which is weirder to wrap my head around <laughs> than I thought it would be. Uh, I guess because Ellen Burstyn does such a good job. Um, I, I know we keep going back and, and saying that, and, and some folks might be tired of, of hearing it by now, especially like I'm just realizing, Keenan, in my notes, I have when Eleanor Blair shows up for the first and only time in this movie, I have talk about how great Ellen Burstyn is. So, <laughs> so Mrs. Blair, we apologize. <laughs> uh, so that's her, and she has her kind of Missouri accent, it sounds like mm-hmm, to me, mm-hmm. right? So that's where Linda Blair is from. Yeah, that is that is that. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, I I tried to find stuff on 
Eleanor Blair. Mm-hmm. And it, it looks like this is her one and only acting role, but uh, she did help out in the makeup department on another movie that Linda did called uh, Up Your Alley. Um, I assume she did uh, Linda's makeup. Um, I, I I was also trying to see if I could find like any anecdotal stuff about like the mother and daughter mm-hmm. uh, uh, duo we got here, like maybe some stories about their relationship. But, th- but like the one that keeps popping up is the one we sort of already talked about where she and Linda showed up at Friedkin's office, uh, you know, just sort of by chance. And, and that's like the meeting that got Linda the role. Um, I, I wish I could find more stuff about like uh, – her presence on mm-hmm. the set, like whether, whether she was there all the time, uh, what she thought of all the stuff that Linda, you know, had to go through. Like you would think that there would be a lot of that, right? Like I, I thought there would, there would have to be, there would, there would be tons of opportunities. Photo play really <laughs> dropped the ball here. Um, where's the story about, uh, you know, what mom thinks about her, her daughter cursing, mm-hmm. you know, or arguments with Friedkin or, or, or like, a, like the bed injury, right. which we're going to see like soon. Like I also thought like maybe there would be stories of her being like a stage mom. Or I guess I guess a set mom, um, like sort of engineering Linda's career first as a child model, then as an actor. But like now, I, like, I couldn't find anything. Keenan, like, did you have any luck? It feels again like we keep trying to find this drama with Linda Blair and insist uh-huh. that she's been exploited. The bed injury is one thing which we'll talk about, mm. but like, like we keep wanting to find like, oh, afterwards, like this push to stay in the limelight and what she would do, and she'd be in these extra sequels because she needed it and she was addicted to fame or any of that, mm-hmm. and it's not there. It just really isn't there. And Linda Blair has been in the public eye and she's been, you know, now it's been 50 years and we do have some, you know, child actors who were even 50 or 60 years afterwards talking about how they were treated and making these changes. And so Linda Blair still has time to do that. But so far, none of that has come out. And she's been very very positive about her experiences on the exorcist right she's actually been going like she's been making pains to go like the opposite direction and saying like i was taken care of i was made sure that you know like everything was above board and right um so this this injury is different that's what we'll talk about in the in i think two minutes from now one minute from now yes (laughs) um but but yeah it seems like she doesn't have any issues with her parents um Mm. that this relationship where where she was a child model was fun for her and Mm. um you know again that's not the case for a lot of actors so i understand why we're why we're trying to look for that there was just um do you know that uh romeo and juliet um from 1968 the the zeffirelli version the italian one? Oh yes with um um olivia hussey olivia hussey yeah 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 right so oh and i forget the guy sorry guy, yeah, well, sorry, guy. <laughs> but olivia hussey became the bigger star after that right. um and anyways like so they just came out um last month and mm. said said that they want to the movie to be pulled because they as children were coerced into these nude scenes and that's from, oh. you know, that's from almost 60 years later. And I think wow. if they had come out, you know, with that story, maybe two, three years ago before right. the Me Too movement had come out, mm-hmm. like you'd see a lot more backlash of like, why are you waiting now? This is just for money, et cetera. Because mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. we've had those stories come up, like, why are you telling this now? And I think people are like, well, that's actually now very interesting, right? Yes. You you are that old. And yes, the, this performance made your career, but you felt bad about it. The whole right. time. And now Zeffirelli is dead. So maybe there's some more distance there. Right. And like, what is that? Because they were they were both underage and um, had signed uh, what they thought were contracts saying there would be no nudity, that they would be on, nude on set um, in order to get implied nudity in the movie. But instead, they got nudity, his buttocks and her breasts. Right. Right. Um, right. As underage actors. Um, mm. So, again, that would not happen today. Right. Uh, so. You know, it's completely fair game, I think, to to be like, well, you 
you actors are in the middle of still dealing with it, you know, in your, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, in your 70s, right? Yes. You're, you're still thinking about this. And there's a lot more sympathy towards them than there would have been just a few years ago. Right, right. We tend to forget. It's like, it's like, oh, what is this? like, that's such an old movie. I saw it like back when, da, 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 right? Like, they and, show it and, in high schools. Yeah, they show it in high schools. Right. It's like, and it's for us, that experience is just the watching of that movie and right. then we're done with it. Right. Um, but yeah, for those, for those actors, for those, kids right. um that's yeah that's gonna follow them for the rest of their life that's in their head mm-hmm. like oh yeah i was in that movie and they, they made me be uh naked for it right they, they tricked me essentially yeah that's what they're alleging so they're suing the, the distributors of the film and they want it to be um to be taken down which you get that you mm. know that, that's that's you know like the whole movie or, or yeah, just a scene yeah or, I mean, oh. that's what they're arguing for now and maybe that's a negotiating tactic right to to like you know, get those scenes, that scene edited or something. Right. But that's what they're asking for right now. And then, Mm. yeah, we're like, well, this is part of, this is, I saw that in high school. This is one of the formative movies in my life. You know, this is how Mm -hmm. I, it's the definitive version of Romeo and Juliet for me. Right. Right. But you know, these are people, they're traumatic moments. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So like, this is a fond memory I have of this movie, but this is, this is them being, feeling traumatized. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the complicated kind of things that we're living with because, um, yeah, you don't, you know, deleting culture is, you know, if you just say, are you in favor of deleting culture, <laughs> right? Which, of course not, right? But then but then we have these real people, you know. Precisely. But anyways, yeah, for Linda Blair, yeah, we don't have a lot of that at all. She's She's been very warm. She's been, you know, not only um, appreciative of the fans and saying, like, you've made my career and I love talking to you, but also mm-hmm. appreciative of Friedkin and Blatty and everybody. And her, and you know, she doesn't talk about her parents a lot. But if there were some drama, you know, there there'd be people to to check on that. Um, right, right. The one thing I have when you Google Eleanor Blair, nay mm-hmm. Leitch, L E I T C H or Leech, probably. Oh, mm, okay. You get to genie.com, like genealogy.com, but genie.com. Oh, birth okay. date estimated between eighteen ninety four and nineteen fifty four. So thanks, genie.com. Oh, okay. Wow, yeah. <laughs> so sometime. So I think we, there's another story there. Like, <laughs> right. Estimated a 50 year, a 60 year gap. Uh, she was yeah. either born in 1894 or um, five years before Linda Blair was born. And <laughs> and so somewhere in there, Linda Blair was born. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, but yeah. So, I mean, like, hey, you know, uh, it, it is one of those things where like, yeah, these are these are public people, mm-hmm. right? I'm talking about Linda Blair and right. her and her family and everything like that, right? Like and we have I get like like maybe like a one-sided relationship mm-hmm. with with their characters on the screen and everything like that, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, but we also have to remember that like these are these are people, right? Like just right. like Olivia Hussey, just mm-hmm. like um the other guy. The guy, <laughs> the other guy. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I will look it up while we're talking about him. Yeah, but the guy yeah. who played Romeo in Romeo. Right, Julie. right. Just like Romeo. Um, could have just said Romeo. Oh, well. Oh, um, <laughs> but yeah, like we we grow up with these, um, you know, with these very much public figures, right? And they are, and, and we have sort of like a, 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 I guess, like a one-sided relationship with, with them or with their characters, right? We follow them on social media. We follow them, um, you know, uh, uh, throughout like, you know, whatever the pop paparazzi lets us see and all that stuff and and we i don't know i guess we we feel like sort of entitled to um i i don't even know what but you know we must not forget that you know they are also people too and mm-hmm. you know and they are they are suffering for their art but we also must remember that that these are people who um you know uh, deserve respect mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, so in in the uh, <laughs> in the aim of being respectful, I looked up the man who played Romeo. His name is Leonard Whiting. Leonard Whiting. Yes. There we go. Leonard Whiting, you did a great job. Wonderful job. 
Yes. He is he is very good, but Olivia Hussey he is, is, he is. Yeah, just, he's, I mean, Olivia Hussey is Olivia she's Hussey. She's quite something like, else yeah. in that movie, yeah. Yes. Keenan, so back to uh, Eleanor Blair, um, who is playing a nurse in this scene. What do we think of this uh, this this very very brief performance here? Um, again, like in the in the screenplay, it says this would be a receptionist voice, and it will be urgent. And mm. so when we get to the movie, we're like, well, let's find a spot for for Eleanor, I guess, right? And we're going to make her a nurse, and um, we're going to delete that parenthetical, right? And she comes in, and she it's not her that's urgent; it's the call from Chris that's urgent, right? Right. Yeah. So she's yeah. like, well, this is you know. You've taken a call from from mothers before, right? Mm-hmm, that are mm-hmm. urgent, and it doesn't mean that I need to literally, you know, drop everything and scream at the top of my lungs. That Doctor Klein, it's urgent. A mother's right. on the line, right? This has <laughs> never happened to us before. Your test results came up negative. This has never happened before, right? This is this people is are of- calling the hospital. They want to know things. <laughs> What do we do? (laughs) That is my complaint about um, a very popular show. So it's just not for Mm. me. And I'll just, you know, if this is the kind of show that you like, that's great. I love the original Mm. Law and Order. Okay. I Mm -hmm. love it to death. I dislike Law and Order Special Victims Unit, which is by far more popular now. That's the problem. Mm. Because every episode, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe the case case overwhelms them emotionally. Mm. Um, I like the original Law and Order that they are very deadpan. Like, well, we've seen, you know, we have a hundred murders to deal with in our office every year. Right. And we're just like, this is how this is. And down at special victims unit, they, they like, (laughs) they cannot deal with it. Right. It's like every single time it breaks their heart. Um, So yeah, this for the hospital. We're like, like doctor, doctor, the this little girl, she has a pain in her head. <laughs> oh, we can't deal with it, right? Like, like obviously, it is a a tragedy for any family that's going through this, right? Of course, but for these yeah. professionals, when they are not, you know, on stage, as it were, it's just like, well, yeah. this is what's happening. Chris McDeal's on the phone. She says it's mm-hmm. urgent. You know, yes, throw yeah. it away. Yeah. Yeah, but I do like special the, victims, victims unit. Like, if you, if you're being like overwhelmed by every single <laughs> yeah. patient that comes your way, it's like maybe this isn't the job you for you. I don't you know. couldn't do it, right? You couldn't do it. That's yeah. why you know a lot of people are thrown off by, um, like we talked about, um, morticians or um, or uh, what coroners eating, mm-hmm. right? But they have to eat sometime, right? Or um, you know, when you hang around cops, you start to hear them making really distasteful jokes. Mm-hmm. But that's how they have to deal with it. Obviously, you wouldn't want to. You wouldn't want them to say any of those jokes in public. You know, mm. that would be not cool. And if they do that, then they should be reprimanded for that because that impacts the ability of the police force to do their job. But mm-hmm. like, you know, when they're off on their own, you know, and they've seen terrible things of mm-hmm. you know murders and, and grisly, grisly, disgusting things happening. You know, they end up developing the sense of humor to protect themselves. Right now and then, a laugh to keep from crying. Oh right? yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's a reason they call it uh, bed side manner mm-hmm. right like that's that's the whole like idea of it is that like this is this is the face that you put on mm-hmm. for the uh for the public like as you're even as you're helping them right, right. like uh, because because having that like kind of like maybe no nonsense gruff like um you know down to business exterior mm-hmm. right like treating a patient like a a specimen or something like, like a that, problem like a problem right, right? um it, you know is is not going to look good and right. it's going to it's 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 going to be bad you know all around for everybody and so there's, be- you know. there's worse health outcomes because of that i think the research has been pretty clear about that Precisely. And they cause so, a they cause a, a mistrust of the medical community and, and all of that, right? Right, and then and then less people go to doctors, right. and then and then more problems arise, right. and it's just yeah. So so yeah. So the invention of bedside manner, right? Like good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but speaking of that, so we have we have this this uh, this lady uh, Eleanor Blair who is not a real nurse, mm-hmm. and so I found myself trying to compare her performance to the other nurses mm-hmm. whom I know are real nurses. And I guess that's uh, 
not fair uh, because this is such a brief encounter with with Eleanor Blair here. Um, we we even cut away before she's done speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but how, how crazy is that? I was, I was looking like, well, how would the real nurse, uh, you know, interrupt two doctors, right? Mm-hmm. Like how would a real nurse open the door? And then, and then I look again and she doesn't even open the door. Like the door is open. She just sort of like leans into frame. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm, I guess I'm being like really unfair. Like we've seen so much more of the other nurses and we know that they're real nurses. And, you know, there's like so little of Eleanor that I'm, that I'm judging every single thing. <laughs> like, well, well, that's not how the other nurse would have done it, you know? <laughs> Yeah, but uh, they do give her a coffee filter for her head. To they do, her right? She's in, yeah. she's got the coffee filter, and she has a little like a uh, like name tag thing. <laughs> and like I tried to zoom in, I couldn't see like uh, uh, what it said. Like I it, like I think I think I would be able to recognize even if it was blurry if it said Blair, but mm-hmm. I don't think that's what it says. And I'm, no, now I'm wondering, so. like, did she can did she take one of the other nurses? Like, <laughs> name tags and she's wearing it now is is that name is that name the the other the other nurse's name is we, that is that what's going on here we keep trying to invent drama backstage to the <laughs> but okay like you know i joke about like comparing this actor with with a speaking role to the other nurses specifically specifically our favorite nurse right, right. the one who like if, if she could speak would fix all of reagan's problems mm. and then it would be like a much shorter movie maybe right. um <laughs> We're talking about that that uh, that first nurse, right. um, uh, the black lady with uh, the uh, the the coffee filter on her head, who's like, yeah, you watching got a, Reagan. Yeah, you got a you got a demon in you. Did you tell the demon to go away? Did <laughs> yeah. you say this is my body demon? You need to get out of there. You haven't tried that. Why don't you try that first? Yes, like <laughs> instead of in, in here, instead of all this, all this, order, like, all these tests, this drama and all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that, maybe that's why they didn't give her any lines, right? Because <laughs> like that nurse again, we have no name to go on with mm-hmm. with the with the little time that she's right. been on screen. She gives us like uh, a lot, right? Like there's that there's that moment when we close up on her face while she's alone in the room mm-hmm. with Reagan, and she's looking over at Reagan, acting weird, and and she just like the look just tells so much, you know? It's like mm-hmm. ah, and it's like oh my god. What- Right. What's wrong with me? Linda Blair's own mother appears <laughs> in this movie. And I've already talked about like two other people mm-hmm. instead of her, right? I'm talking about Ellen Burstyn. <laughs> I'm talking about this other nurse. Yeah, that we I'm don't even know her name. By the other nurse, right? Yes. No, like, no, I absolutely. Tell you, this was my son telling, telling me he had, a, he had a captain in his head. <laughs> I would have taken care of this before I yes. went and brought all these oh, people yeah. into this. <laughs> oh, no. Keenan, Keenan, we. <laughs> We are we are constructing an A team behind the scenes. We got we got uh, uh, Uncle Tito. We got Jesuit mm-hmm. Dean. We got they're, they're all you know what they are. They're 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 made up entirely of like the uncredited or mm-hmm. miscredited uh, uh, folks in this movie, right? right? Because we we found out that you know uh, John J. Nicola, who that's what it says in the X ray, mm-hmm. that priest carrying the flowers. That's not him, that's not right? Him. Like there was a John J. Nicola who who contributed to this movie. He was a technical advisor and he also wrote a book on possession mm-hmm. and. And for some reason, the x-ray says that that's the priest carrying the flowers, but it's not. Mm-hmm. We found out thanks to Exorcist Reviews. Everyone go check out um, their their YouTube. Um, <clears throat> but so we got that guy. We got, we're just going to call him John J. Nicola because we don't, we don't know his fucking name. <laughs> the, uh, the other John J. Nicola. The other John J. Nicola, right? Like his name is, is that guy's name too. Mm-hmm. Um, and... <laughs> And so we got him, we got uh, Uncle Titosh, and we call him Uncle Titosh because he doesn't have a name, right. like, like, but that's the actor's name. And then we also got, uh, we got Jesuit Dean, of course. <laughs> and now we have this nurse, right? Mm-hmm. And I think... I think of of all of them, if this is the A team, she would be the leader. Right. Um, no, actually, no, 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 no. That wouldn't work because then no. they would solve the problems too quickly. <laughs> she, 
she's she's the one who has the answers. Right. Like everyone everyone should be listening to her, right. but probably it's like Uncle Titoch behind the wheel or something like that. <laughs> right. right. She's she the nurse is Velma. And Uncle okay. Tidosh is Fred. <laughs> there we go. Yes. <laughs> and, and the false Father Nicola is Daphne. Mm-hmm. And then as Jesuit Dean and the real Jesuit Dean, who we see later, that's got to be Shaggy and Scooby. That's Shaggy and Scooby. There we go. <laughs> right. This is in Solving Mysteries. Yeah. And if, and if they just listened to this nurse, mm-hmm. then the mysteries would be solved way, way, way sooner. <laughs> um, not to, not, we're not comparing um, this nurse uh, to... We're, we're, we're comparing her to the old Velma, not the new one that just came out. Oh, well, um, I haven't which, seen that one, so I, haven't, I can't. Uh, oh, that one's, that one's getting a lot of um, uh, criticism right now. Yes. Apparently, it's not uh, um, representing anybody very well. Well, there's no um, Scooby-Doo in it, so it's like doing a movie with only one Jesuit dean. Wait, hang on. There's no Scooby-Doo? That is correct, Lester. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm not even a Scooby-Doo <laughs> fan. I don't like Scooby-Doo, but when I heard that they were doing a Scooby-Doo a reboot with no Scooby-Doo. I'm like, well, there's not even any reason for me to go and watch that. What is it? Is it called? No, it's called it's Velma. It's called Velma. Right? Yeah. Okay. What? And there's no Scooby-Doo. So it's just them solving mysteries, I guess, but without Scooby-Doo. And everybody hates it. Like everybody, like from, yeah. from mm-hmm. every single side, like everybody hates, hates this, right. uh, mm-hmm. this new iteration. And I haven't seen it yet, so I can't speak for it. But, but when we're, when we're comparing our, our favorite nurse to, to Velma, <laughs> we're, we're comparing her to the, the old Velma. Right. The one um, that, that gets neglected and she's in the back of the, of the mystery machine and no one likes her because she has glasses, <laughs> but, but, but she, she has all the, the answers the right? every single time. Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. Whew. Okay. We uh, we fell into a Scooby trap there. <laughs> what do you do it for a Scooby trap? The roar of You know what you do, Rocky? <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. 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 <sighs> Jesus. Yeah. But like, 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 like I was saying, folks, like, like Linda Blair's own mother, like appears in this movie. Right. And we're talking about, we're talking about this nurse. We're talking about the other nurse. We're talking about Ellen Burstyn. Right. Like, and that's, that's even in my notes too. Like Keenan, like, like I'm going to read to you the notes that I have when Eleanor Blair shows up right now on the air. Like like, this is, this is a peek behind the curtain. This is a reading. This is, this is a reading from the show notes of Lester. Right. So I have, I have in, in just a line, I have Eleanor Blair, Linda Blair's mom, (laughs) makeup in up your alley, stage mom stereotype. Yes. Slash. No. Why no info? Very sus. Mm -hmm. Talk about Ellen Burstyn. Talk about other nurse. (laughs) Well, you're very brave. You're very brave for letting them in to see what what you write. Yeah, and even Google, like I go onto Google to 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 look for Eleanor Blair, and it says, "Do you mean Ellen Burstyn?" <laughs> well, no, Google. Again, you're very brave. I don't I don't make notes, so they can't. If I am ever um, if I'm ever sued, <laughs> I can't produce any documents. I'm like everything on the show is what I have. I literally have nothing. Mm-hmm. There are no notes. So. I am no one. <laughs> if you want, if you want uh, any discovery, you got to go through Lester, not me. There we go. Yeah, yeah. The Exorcist uh, Minute at gmail.com. I forgot our own email address just a second. <laughs> the Exorcist Minute at gmail.com, folks. Yeah. Lester.clark at exorcist.com. <laughs> yes. Captain.howdy.velma <laughs> at shaggy.com. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, okay. Uh, but so our nurse is here to tell us that Chris McNeil is on the phone and it's urgent. Um, the doc's 
have time. They look at each other. It's like, do you have, do you have time right now? And so, so yeah. So they head to the McNeil residence. Um, and we cut from there to inside the McNeil house. Someone is at the door and Sharon is rushing to answer it. Somewhere we hear the sound of Reagan screaming. Sharon answers the door. It's Dr. Klein and Dr. Tanny. Sharon reports that things have gotten worse, more spasms. Yes, but they've gotten more violent. Um, I love the camera work here. Again, it's as if we are perhaps another observer, mm-hmm. as if maybe we are also like running to the door with Sharon, but then we stopped at the landing and let her just kind of like continue on. Right. Um and yeah, that is, whew, that is, that is where we must also stop. Uh, Keenan, is there, is there anything else we missed here? No, we'll come back to this because this will lead into our next minute. So we'll deal with that, uh, next time. Next time. Okay. Whew, Keenan, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think I am, Lester. Folks, until next time, the, the power, power of Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo compels you. Because like his W's would be regular W's, right? Right. <laughs> well, I don't know why the S's are are raggies. I don't know. <laughs> right. Raggy. Yeah. No. He's <laughs> <laughs> like Zoink Scoob. We've got a big mystery up at the McNeil house. Why you do this to me, Raggy? <laughs> Your mother rocks rocks and grow. <laughs> well, that's how we clean up this movie. <laughs> There we we get a PG rating by by making all the all the swears in Scooby Doo's voice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very good.